where you going? <laughs> no, man. You got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's it's see sort of what he got to say. What I got to say? Oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. Oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. <laughs> yes, uh, I wasn't ready to start the show today because... Charlie, 20 seconds to Watner. What? I was, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, he was... It's a good thing Joe warned me because... Um, <clears throat> I was out investigating why we got a strike yesterday on YouTube. Uh, how predictable. <laughs> we have now been banned from YouTube for a week. Now, why were we banned? They don't tell you. They just say you violated our community guidelines. Which community guideline? I'd really like to know. I have a feeling I know, but, you know. They have so, community guidelines to begin with? <sighs> this is me. why, you know, when I do my little intro, you know, I say, you know, because this professor's going to get himself censored on YouTube. <laughs> and I, did, did I not warn you yesterday? I said, Joe, you're, you're, you're running right on the line today. You're going to get yourself. And he did. <laughs> So anyway, morning. We must have been over to Target yesterday. <laughs> You're watching the Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Yes, you are. And Homeroom is on Rumble for a reason. Uh, you just go to Rumble and you search the channels for the Road to Concord. Because uh, if you go other places, you might not see us. Uh, it's it's one word. And when you find it, go ahead and click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, and my thing's not working here. What's going on? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, boy, I'm not having a good morning. He had crumbly uh, donuts, folks. Yeah, and I, I had they, crunchy they were crumbly, donuts too. Crunchy donuts. Crunchy, crumbly donuts. Oh, gosh. Anyway, uh, but setting up an account, it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, TwitX. But not for YouTube, at least for a week, because this professor got himself censored yesterday. Uh, anyway, then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And Well, sometimes BitChute, and BitChute's okay, but the problem is our shows are too long, and I can't upload them there normally. But when we do YouTube, we can put them over there, but because YouTube banned us, they took our our uh, show down yesterday. You won't find it on there anymore, so it won't get there for yesterday. <laughs> uh, anyway, am, am I bashing YouTube? To, oh, boy. If oh, you're not, not, I will. <laughs> oh, we're, not, we're not on YouTube, so I guess I can bash YouTube. But if you're not Facebook, bashing them, I will. <laughs> Facebook may, may ban us for bashing YouTube. I don't know. But anyway, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Blog page. That's the road to concord.com. We own that. Um, and as long as the, the the hosting server doesn't ban us. We, we should be okay there. So you can find your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class from yesterday. So if you want an idea what got us banned, you can go there and maybe you can figure it out and let us know what you think got us banned yesterday. Uh, finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to .com. Um, I answered all my emails this morning. How are you doing over there? I just got them. Well, yeah, I already answered mine this morning. I answered mine already. He's I just a got a freaking him too. zero. He'll wait. All right. Okay. Officers, well, I mean, for he, crying out loud. He, he will eventually email you back. Uh, phones are on today, but only for registered numbers. <laughs> uh, if you wish to call in and a regular classmate, you may request phone access to an email and then, you know, 
I think about it and decide whether I will let you call in or not. Uh, if you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, and subscribe. And share it with those you think could benefit from it. And you better do it soon because, you know, it might not be there the next time you go there. Um, but warn them, Joe is an acquired taste and... He gets himself banned on YouTube regularly. Um, <laughs> this show is listener sponsored, meaning we can't solicit business advertising because they, you know, withdraw, they, they would withdraw their business advertising because of the content we do provide. So, you know, anyway, that's why we don't do that. Anyway, uh, we do ask for your participation, though, on a value for value basis. Seriously, uh, that's the only way we can get. Yeah, if it weren't for those of you who are donating, the show would have been gone by now. Yes. You guys are, if you're donating, you are the reason we're here. Yeah, you're the only reason we're still here. Yep. Uh, If you do find our show of value to you, we do ask that you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, show description on Rumble, in the comments on the other streams. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for those that do support it. So that, you know, when we get banned from YouTube, you know, at least we do have places we can still go. But, uh, you know, anyway, that's the way that goes. And uh, I'll see if I can get an outro going here. There hey, we, go. we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. I, not all here. Yeah, today. just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. You're welcome, Marianne. Let's see what the road to Congo. Give me a call if you need more help. Back and over has on the lesson plan for today. Like the country western song says, <laughs> YouTube stuff. We're all here because he ain't all there tonight. <laughs> oh, boys and girls, I am on the jazz today. We go have us a show. If I hadn't gotten banned yesterday, I'd have gotten banned today. That's for sure. <laughs> Aaron, I suspect we got hit for hate speech yesterday. Yes. And even though if you were on the second half of the show, that's probably the second hour is probably what got us in trouble. And if you st- watched the start of it, I flat out said I wasn't trying to bash anybody. And I was trying to be as sensitive as I know how to be. But like I tell you, folks, I am broken. <laughs> like a buddy of mine here, classmate of yours, likes to say I'm a little bit of a sociopath. Some things I just don't care about. It's not that I'm not aware that other people might be getting their feelings hurt. <laughs> it's just dilligaff. If you don't understand what that means, ask one of your former military friends in the classroom. They'll explain it for you, hopefully in a private message, because it's a family-friendly show. We don't want to use that last word in that sentence. (laughs) All right. That wasn't Toby Keith that said that, Road Dog. We're all here because he ain't all there. That's Garth Brooks, man. (laughs) Of course, Toby might have sang the song, too, but, you know. Anyhow, all right. Today, we're going to be talking about myths. It's Teaching Tuesday. I want to teach you something. Oh, boy. Y'all know how I like to stress definitions, right? You're going to get a lesson today in why definitions are important. Ooh, am I going to have fun today? <laughs> I can barely contain myself. <laughs> we we got to get going here, right? Okay. Go, Joe. Go. Charlie is on the other end of the room, and the AI is not physically here, so nobody can smack me if I get out of control. (laughs) We're going to explore ancient creation mythology today. Sort of, kind (laughs) of. Well, we have the Babylonian Sumerian creation myths. There's a 
whole host of those. And we all know that those are actually ancient aliens, right? Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> well, what about the Egyptian creation myths? Oh, more ancient aliens. I know, I know. You just, it's okay. It'll be all right. We'll get to that. Greek and Roman gods in creation mythology. Well, we also have the Norse. Norse, you know, Viking. Yo, Horns on the hamlet. Creation story. And then you have the Chinese creation myths. And none of them have anything in common, right? Yeah, uh-huh. We'll see. Oh, what's that one? Well, that's the Garden of Eden. That's the Bible's creation myth. You know, it's a myth too, right? Well, maybe. Maybe. You ever watch that movie, The Meg? You know, where... Yoshi says, uh, you know, maybe we're into the bottom bottom of the Mariana's Trench. Maybe. Well, we'll see. We've got to blow this part up. We're going to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. And we're going to do a little, you know, you know how we do this? You're, you're regular class member. You know we got to go to the, we got to get some definition down here, right? Okay. Encyclopedia Britannica. Myth. A symbolic narrative, usually of unknown origin and at least partly traditional, that ostensibly relates actual events and that is especially associated with religious belief. Okay, is the Bible of unknown origin? No, we know where it came from, so strike one. Doesn't remember form and function. So, is the form and function of the Bible does it fit this definition? No, strike one. Nope, 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 not there. Continuing, it is distinguished from symbolic behavior like a cult or a ritual and from symbolic places or objects like temples or icons. Myths are specific accounts of gods or superhuman beings involved in extraordinary events or circumstances in a time that is unspecified, but which is understood as existing apart from ordinary human experience. Well, according to the Bible... There are specific specified times. The Garden of Eden isn't specified, Joe. Actually, if you could tell what day it is right now in the timeline, what year it really is, yes, you can find out when the Garden of Eden was. The timeline actually is in the Bible. So guess what? And the Bible does not say that these stories exist apart from ordinary human experiences. So it doesn't fit that part of the definition either. We continue. The term mythology denotes both the study of myth and the body of myths belonging to a particular religious tradition. As with all religious symbols, there is no attempt to justify mythic narratives or even to render them plausible. Here again, the Bible tells its stories specifically to justify its teachings. Doesn't fit that part of the definition either. So far, the Bible doesn't fit this definition, folks. Hmm. Anyhow, every myth presents itself as authoritative, fact, uh, an authoritative factual account, no matter how much the narrated events are at variance with the natural law or ordinary experiences. Nothing in the Bible is at uh, variance with natural law or ordinary experience. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. Well, Joe, it's got supernatural. Ah, now how do you define supernatural? Uh, put a pin in that. We'll get back to that later, boys and girls. By extension, from this primary religious meaning, the word myth may also be used more loosely to refer to an ideological belief when that belief is the object of quasi-religious faith. An example would be the Marxist eschatological method of withering away of the state. 
And this is while the outline of myths from the past period or from a society other than one's own can usually be seen quite clearly to recognize the myth that are dominant in one's own time and society is always difficult. This is hardly surprising because a myth has its authority not by proving itself, but by presenting itself. In this sense, the authority of a myth indeed goes without saying, and the myth can only be outlined in detail only when its authority is no longer unquestioned, but has been rejected or overcome in some manner by another more comprehensive myth. In, in other words, well, the Bible is a myth now to many people because they have rejected its authority in place of a new authority called the science, 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 the holy science and reason. If you have caught on today that we're going to be doing Bible apologetics, you are right. And true to form, our once really decent looking starting audience on Rumble has bailed again. You bad little Christians, you. The word myth derives from the Greek mythos, which has a range of meanings from word through saying and story to fiction. The unquestioned validity of mythos or mythos can be contrasted with logos, the word whose validity or truth can be argued and demonstrated. Whoa, 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 what? You can't argue with a myth, but you can question logos. In the beginning, there was the myth, or in the beginning, there was the logos. I'm, I can't remember, Charlie. Which one was it? I think there, it was logos, is what was. Which means that Yahweh says he can. You can, you can wrestle with him. You can. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Another one that, uh, again, the Bible doesn't admit this, this definition. This is starting to look like a pattern here, isn't it? Yeah. The scriptures do not meet the definition of a myth, form or function. Okay, we'll keep going with this. Because myths narrate fantastic events with no attempt at proof. Well, wait a minute, Bible doesn't do that. Bible tries to prove itself over and over again. It is sometimes assumed that they are simply stories with no factual basis, and the word has become synonymous with falsehood or, at best, misconception. In the study of religion, however, it is important to distinguish between myths and stories that are merely untrue. We have yet to have a story in the Bible proven false. Hmm. Anyhow, the nature, function, or type of a myth. Myths, how they exist in every they exist in every society. Indeed, it would seem to be a basic constituent of human culture, because the variety is so great. It is difficult to generalize about the nature of myths, but it is clear that in the general characteristic and in their details of people's myth reflections, expressions explore the people's self-image. The study of myth is the thus a central importance in the study both of individual societies and of human culture as a whole. Okay, so that's. Myth. Guess what we just found out here, boys and girls? Class, the Bible doesn't meet the definition of a myth. Hmm. So what do we do with that? Well, I don't know. Let's just keep going. What's a legend? What, 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 what's, what, what's the big deal about legend, Joe? You were just talking about myths. Uh-huh. Well, we know that the Bible isn't a myth by definition. And Charlie, is that important in logic when I say by definition? Yeah, I found out that's pretty important. So by definition, the Bible can't cannot be a myth. Correct. Which means that it's not, it doesn't fall under the realm of fictitious story. No, mm -hmm. it's actually a pretty good history book. Yeah. So why would I bring up any other documentation we have yeah. going back that many millennia? So back to the Encyclopedia Britannica, let's look at legend. 
I'm just going to look at the first part of this here. It says, legend, traditional story, a group of stories told about a particular person or place. Formerly, the term legend meant a tale about a saint. Legends resembled folk tales in content. They may include supernatural beings, elements of mythology, or explanations of natural phenomenon, but they are associated with a particular locality or person and are told as a matter of history. Some legends are the unique property of a place or person that they depict, such as the story of young George Washington, the future first president of the United States who confesses to chopping down the cherry tree. Now, Washington never did that. That would be a myth, not a legend. So Britannica is getting this wrong. Remember, the legend is supposed to be based in truth. Now, the truth here of the myth of Washington chopping down the cherry tree is that he was supposedly an honest man. That falls under mythology. Legend is supposed to be like something that was true, and it gets distorted over time. This is why whenever you have a traffic accident and 15 people see it, you get 15 stories about what happened. And some of them might say it was a pickup truck. Some of them might say it was a sedan. Some of them might say it was blue, it was green, it was yellow, it was white. You, that, that's one of the problems of trying to figure out what happened in the accident. You got to go back through this. Now, when I was working as an insurance adjuster for Progressive Auto Insurance, I ran into this a lot. It is amazing how people involved in the incident We'll all come away with a different idea of what the heck happened. You got to put it all together. Well, the problem here is they're all telling the truth as they understand it and as they perceive and remember it. So to them, they're not lying. And if you are a careful investigator, you can start pulling some things out of all of the different stories that are common to all of the different stories. In other words, you can arrive back at the basics of the truth of the legend no matter how morphed it has become. That's going to be important to us for the remainder of this show. That's why I brought up definition of legend. Now, is the Bible a legend? Maybe. I don't think so. I think your legend is all those other things that we started the show with. The creation mythology of the rest of the world is legend, not mythology. It's been rebranded on purpose by people who have rejected the narrative from which all those other creation stories come from. We're going to get to that before the rest of this show is over. So are we dealing with legend or myth? Let's take a look at a little bit of the characteristics here. I'll blow this all the way up. So for a myth, we often created, it's often created long ago to explain the mysteries of the world. For a legend, it's based on real characters, places, and events. For a myth, it tells of miraculous or unbelievable events. For legends, usually have human main characters and focus on single characters and events that actually happen. For myths, they are rooted in sacred beliefs, and they often have gods of super, supernatural beings as the main characters. And they have key themes such as trials, journeys, and quests. Show us the mistakes that and, and the consequences they have. In other words, it's um, fables to teach moral stories. But now our legends often focus on single characters, are told chronologically, often in episodes, often include a moral, 
have themes such as good and evil, magic rich, poor and journeys, ensure that tricksters get their comeuppance. So they're very similar in nature. But the Bible's going to lean more toward a legend, only the Bible tells the story about many different people, many different events. So what is it, legend or myth? Doesn't seem to fit either one. Now, in the middle, where both of them overlap, a legend and a myth often have opposites as themes, yin and yang, good and evil, and uh, foolish and old, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They use rich and a, a uh, evocative language, very, very powerful or, you know, descriptive language, story type language. They possessed of oral, orally down the generations. They're passed down generations orally. They use imaginative uh, imagery and they usually contain a moral. Okay, the difference between a legend and a myth, right? So is the Bible just mythology? How can we know? What I'm going to be asking you to do today, whether you believe in the Bible or not, I'm going to ask you to look at it a little bit differently. Notice, Charlie, look at what our numbers are doing today on the two different platforms. Oh, my. <laughs> I expected this. Yep. The ones who need to be sitting their butt in the pew and listening are leaving us. <laughs> I'm about to challenge their sacred religions. We're going to be cow skewering today, boys and girls. So uh, let me bring this back up here real quick. This is another one I did for you real fast. It, it's basically the difference between legend and myth. Okay, evidence that events occurred, the people existed. In a legend, yes, but the evidence may be incorrect or insubstantial or altered or whatever. In a legend. In a myth, there's no evidence. Well, the Bible has substantial evidence that the people lived and that the events occurred. So at best, the Bible's a legend. When and where did it happen? Typically in a legend, in more recent historical past, usually from a specific culture, specific dates are usually given. Well, the Bible gives us specific dates, but it's an ancient past, even from its own perspective of writing. And it's from many cultures. So the Bible doesn't quite fit legend. On a myth, it usually in the ancient past and from a specific ancient culture. Well, again, the Bible's not going to quite fit that either. It is from the ancient past. And it's sort of kind of from a specific culture, although it spans many cultures through its storytelling. The problem is within its own context, it's giving you specific dates. So the Bible doesn't really fit either one of these. Is it fact or fiction? If it's a legend, facts are distorted or exaggerated, and there's some fiction in there, but there are facts. Well, the Bible has never, we assume it's ex distorted or exaggerated, but the Bible has never been disproven yet. So doesn't seem to fit. So, okay, so is it a myth? In a myth, there's no evidence to prove it as fact. Fictional stories explain how the world was created or some type of natural situation that occurred on Earth. Oh, Job Genesis. Uh, Genesis is not a creation story. Job is. Now, we can argue that later on a different day, but when you read the Bible on its own terms, the Bible doesn't fit myth either. So we've only got one out of three things so far. Who are they about? And a legend, notable people from history. Well, the Bible's about notable people from history. In a myth, God's supernatural realm and supernatural creatures. The Bible's about that too. So it's both, which means it fits neither. So we've only got one out of four so far. Now, what are they about? In a legend, often about heroic deeds, overcoming obstacles, but may also be about evil doing. Yeah, that's the Bible. In a myth, 
Traditional narratives that explain natural phenomenon through symbolism and metaphor often involve the gods of ancient cultures. The Bible does that too. So it's either both legend and myth or neither. So I'm going to say what you have here is one out of five pieces of the of the definition. So once again, scripture doesn't seem to be legend or myth. Well, hold on. I'm going to explain why this is important to us today. We're going to look at the ancient aliens. Yes. See, the Bible is wrong. It's got nothing to do with gods and all this stuff and demigods and Nephilim. It's just aliens, man. That guy right there on the screen, he tells you it's all ancient aliens. Look at the proof. See that little figurine they found? It's an astronaut. Now, I have a question for you. We've got these little grays and these greens and these lizard men running around in their spaceships and everything, but none of the pictures we've seen show you anybody in a spacesuit, do they? So why would I look at this figurine on the left and see the astronaut on the right when I could have looked at this figurine on the left and seen a mummy in a sarcophagus? Because that's exactly what that looks like to me. If you understand ancient Egypt and certain other cultures, that's the metal headset of the sarcophagus with the mummy wrapped in his. So yeah, you see spaceman because that's what you're looking for. I see mummy in a sarcophagus because I'm seeing that there might be an explanation closer to the original culture that made that figurine on the left. So ancient alien, right? Well, here's proof of the ancient alien, the elongated head. Okay, well, you got me there, curly-haired guy. I guess that's an alien. And also here, look at all of these different creatures, man. They're, they're all the same creature. And they, these are pictures from all around the world too, folks. You're going to find these carvings everywhere. And they're very similar. Look, they got wings and they got a purse. And they're giving out this pine cone or acorn thing. And some of them have lizard heads and some of them have bird heads and some of them have people heads. So proof of ancient aliens, right? And that's where this comes from. This is from the movie Stargate. And that's, you know, you've got your ancient aliens there with the bird heads and the dog heads, just, just like the different gods and throne guardians of, of Egypt. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's what they were. It's just nothing more than throne guardians that were depicted as god gods of their time. Oh, well, anyhow, here we have proof. This is ancient aliens, right? There's a helicopter a tank and an airplane in that picture on the hieroglyphics. So now we have proof. I mean, it's just like the ancient aliens are going to come to earth and they're going to have helicopters, tanks, and airplanes, just like we do readily visible. I mean, today they're flying around in flying saucers that don't look like anything man-made, but naturally we know 10, 15, 20, 30 million years ago, they were all in vehicles that readily apparent to us today, right? Uh-oh, ancient aliens are going to be debunked. What are you talking about, Joe? Well, there's your elongated head, folks. It, it's called head skull wrapping, and they still do it today. They also do this with the neck. They'll stretch your neck with little rings that they put in a woman's neck as she grows to stretch her neck out and make it longer. Problem is it makes her neck weak, and she has to wear those rings for the rest of her life. But anyway, there's your elongated head. That's, that's what that's all about. That's got nothing to do with an alien. It's got to do with a practice that the people do that elongate the skull. It's thought to be beautiful. And oopsie, there's how you got your different symbols. What happened is um, it was the Egyptian form of whiteout. They they needed to put another name from SETI 1 to Remesis 2. So they put clay over it. And then they put, and what you're seeing here, the blue and the green are known hieroglyphics. 
And when they're superimposed over each other, you get the helicopter, the tank, and the airplane. So in other words, what happened here is Egyptian whiteout wore away. And you see half of what was behind it and half of what was in front of it. And that explains that. And then you also have these problems. You know, the one on the left, if you go looking, you're going to find plenty of aliens and UFOs and the hieroglyphics everywhere. Problem is, the picture on the right is the real one. With Photoshop, people are faking everything nowadays to prove their point. So we can't rely on the ancient alien guys stuff. Another one that's very famous, he did a, um, he was showing you a, a Victory Stella, which is a stone carving. And the ancient alien dude was saying, look, see that thing in the background, that big tall thing? That was a spaceship. And look, he's taking all the humans to the spaceship. And, and Dr. Heiser has these series of videos on YouTube called Pop321, where he debunks the ancient alien guy quite gleefully, too. And before he passed away, Dr. Heiser could read nine different ancient languages. One of them was Sanskrit. So he's explaining that the Stella is not a spaceship. It's a mountain, which means a kingdom in ancient parlance. And what you have is a victory. The king had won a great victory and all the people you see go into the mountain are the booty, the bounty. They're the captives from the victory. And Dr. Heiser turns around in the video and says, and if this ancient idiot, you know, ancient aliens guy were to just learn how to read Sanskrit, he'd know that that's what this is. And Dr. Heiser starts reading the inscription on the, on the uh, Stella for him. So this is all up to interpretation. Is the Bible up to interpretation? I don't know. We're going to find out. That's part of what we're going to do today here. So did the Bible, first question, does it copy other religious myths and legends? Hmm. Well, yeah, I think so. There's lots of proof of that. Here's a case. The Babylonian Sumerian creation myth, right? They're full of these guys here. The Enkai or Ananukai or whatever. And that's what these, and they're giants. Look, that guy's big enough to hold a goat in his arm like a little puppy dog. And they're always depicted this way. One of them is Gilgamesh is tall enough to hold a lion like a cuddly, ugly teddy bear. The Ananukai. In Sumerian, it mean, Ananukai means those who fell from the sky. See? Aliens, Joe! Look at the imagery. There's giant skeletons. There's lizard people. They've got six wings. Yeah, aliens. Thousands of ancient clay tablets translated contain information about a godlike race from the planet Nibiru. <laughs> hey, I think we found the origin of the Mormon theology. I, I guess I shouldn't go there. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> I got fireflies from that going off all over the place here. So 450,000 years ago, the immortal Ananukai arrived on Earth. Their purpose was to mine gold to replace their atmosphere of to replace the atmosphere in Nibiru. Ananukai possessed the technology that was used to genetically alter life on Earth, creating the slave race of greys, aliens, and of humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is this a uh, legend or a myth? <laughs> this is both, and a lot of this is modern-day uh, twisting of what we think we're reading and understanding in the clay tablets. So the Ananuke or whatever, it, this is a more. This is from Wiki. They're a group of deities of the ancient Sumerians the Akkadians, Assyrians, and Babylonians. The earliest Sumerian writings about them, which come from the post-Akkadian period, the Ananukai are deities in the pantheon, meaning there's many of them, descendants of An and Ki, the god of heavens and the goddesses of earth, and their primary function was to decree the fates of humanity. They should not be confused with the Apkula. So, in this case, the Ananukai 
are not necessarily aliens. They're part of their creation mythology. And this is true. It says God of the sky or whatever, but where is, does our God live? If you're a Bible believer, we're, we're, we always think of God up in the sky in the heavens, right? Same thing. It's parallel. Not fallen from the stars, but lives up in the heavens. So the Anunnaki are not necessarily aliens. But now we do see this, this symbology all over the world. The wings, you know, the, that little acorn-like thing in their hands. They're all carrying a purse. And, you know, sometimes it's an eagle head. Sometimes it's a human head. Sometimes it's a bit of a dog head. And sometimes it's a fish head, like the one on the left. And this is the Apkula. Now, very similar imagery. The Apkula are the seven sages of Mesopotamia. Not necessarily Samaria, but in the same region of the world. Yeah, and Heiser pronounces that Apkalu. Apkalu, okay, yes. If you want to learn more about this, Dr. Heiser's the place to go. Okay, the Apkalu ancient aliens, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. I don't buy into this. Some people see it that way. Okay, fine. I think what you have here is mythology going on. And this is this is what they are. From the uniforms and inscriptions, in several contexts, the Apkalu are, are there's seven demigods, half god, sometimes described as part man, part fish, or bird, associated with human wisdom. That's the point I want you to look at right here. They're associated with human wisdom and also with half-man, half-animal creatures. We're going to run into this again. You find that also not only in the Samaritan Babylonian context, you're going to find that in the Bible, you're going to find that in the Greek mythology, you're going to find that in Roman mythology. When you find common threads that go through all of the mythology, guess what you might be looking at? Not a myth, but a legend. This is one of the things when you have many, 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 many different witnesses throughout time giving you an account of the same story, and there's a common thread through all of them, you're going to have chimeras, chimeras or whatever like this half man, half beat crease. You're going to find those in Norse mythology. You're going to find it in Chinese mythology. What we might have, put a pin in that. We might actually have, this isn't mythology after all. This is grossly distorted legend. These creatures are often referred to in a scholarly literature as the seven sages. Sometimes the sages are associated with a specific primeval king after the great flood. We're going to come back to that flood, too. Further sages and kings are listed after the flood. Well, that's in the Bible. The Nephilim before and after. And these people here are going to greatly parallel Nephilim. So, post-deluge, flood, the sages are considered human and in some texts are distinguished by being referred to as Umanu, not Apkalu. Now, this is something I don't want to get into too deeply. The point I'm getting at so far right here is they're not necessarily aliens. They could be nothing more than mythology from the ancient Mesopotamian, Middle East, Sumerian, you know, the, the area around Iran, Iraq, Syria, Babylon, that area right now in that part of the world. It could be nothing more than figures, you know, like the Zeus and Apollo. Or if people want to look at the Bible as a myth, it could be like, you know, Yahweh. Okay, could be. Hold on. That's if it's mythology. But since these themes seem to run through all the creation stories around the world, uh, it may not be mythology. It may be legend. And before we're done today, I'm going to give you a good argument that what we're dealing with is legend.
And if it's legend, there's truth in it. And if there's truth in it, I should be able to find common points that run through just about every creation story. Guess what, boys and girls? I can. And only one of those stories explains all of it. We'll get to that before the day is over. So find out why the Bible is not like pagan myths and religions. Excuse me. I'm going to be guiding off of this book right here. Ooh, baby, one of my favorites. This is a logical argument. This is an all one logical argument that tells you the Bible is not a myth. It's not a legend either. And it's not like anything from the ancient Middle East. Highly recommended. And the boys and girls there, Natasha and Charlie will throw the link up in your comment section. It's all, you'll also find it in the comments in the permanent section of the Rumble chat, on the Rumble page, the show. So it'll be there in the future if you want it. You go back and get it from Rumble. Very highly recommended. And we'll talk about that in a little bit if we have time. First things first, biblical allegory, understanding the creation story. Now, I understand if you are a six-day creationist, I'm not, I'm not telling you you can't believe that. It's fine by me. Only thing I'm going to ask you, is it six 24-hour days or is it 6,000-year periods? Because remember, Yahweh says uh, a day is as a, a thousand years to him, a thousand years is as to a day. Or is it an epoch, a time period? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that if you're paying attention to what's going on in the book of Genesis, not really about how the world was created. That's not what Moses is after right there. What he's going after right there in the book of Genesis is the gods of the other nations, specifically in this case, Egypt. He's attacking the gods of Egypt. And he's attacking the mythology that the Israelites had acquired while they were in captivity. And he's like, get rid of that. Look at it this way. He's trying to correct their thinking and get them thinking back to the one true God, the one true Elohim, Yahweh. So it's called a polemic. And there are plenty of polemics in the scriptures. So if you look at a polemic and you say, see, it's wrong. It's not scientific. That's not the purpose of a polemic. So you don't get to, you're not going to get to compare a banana to a steak. Not going to allow that here. And that's that it's not even apples to oranges. If you're going to compare science to a polemic a religious polemic, that is banana to steak. Okay. One's fruit, one's meat. They ain't even close to each other. And when you think you can get to compare them, that's where you go sideways. So creation story. If you really want to see, Go look in Job in the Psalms. You're going to find more there than you will in in Genesis about how that's done. And you're also going to find that the two don't jive. So unless the Bible contradicts itself, something more is going on in Genesis than most people have ever bothered to stop and look at because they're trying to disprove the Bible or laugh at it. Well, that's not what it's meant to be there. Now, you remember these guys? We just saw their picture a little while ago. All these little hammer knockers that are all over the place in the world little figures. Let's take a look at something. The Bible and the book of Enoch. Now I'm putting up here the Bible among myths. That's not the Bible itself, but this is a book that's going to help explain to you why the Bible is not either myth nor legend. And then the book of Enoch is going to give us an alternative explanation to these guys. What are they? Why are they in? Why are, why are they found all over the world? Okay, we're going to find out about this. Now, the book of Enoch is not necessarily scripture. 
but it's not necessarily not scripture either. That's something we'll get into some other time. The Watchers. You're going to find them in the book of Enoch. They're big deal. They're central in the book of Enoch. They're also in the Bible. What? Yeah, they're in the Bible. Book of Daniel. We'll get to that in a little bit. You'll find them in Daniel. But you're also going to find them by another name. Because in the Bible, in Daniel, he calls them the holy ones. Charlie, what are the holy Elohim? What's the other name for them? What's an, another name for them? Well, you could call them angels or messengers. Yes, exactly. Angels. The watchers are angels, according to Daniel, but also according to other books in the Bible. So the watchers, they're never described to have wings except one group of Elohim, one group of what we would think of as angels, yes. the seraphim. seraphim. And how many wings do they have? They have three sets, six wings, right? Six. Yep. Did you notice that some of those pictures of the Apkula or the Ananukai had six wings, not just four? Yeah, they did. So, well, maybe the Bible just stole those from the ancient Mesopotamians. Or if you know the whole biblical story, especially with Enoch involved, you'll find that the Bible goes back to creation and then tells you how all these people came along. And Anukai go back to creation and say that those watchers were part of how the Bible was created. There are two different stories competing here. Only one of them explains all the others. None of the others explain the one that explains it all. What I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at here is we've got multiple different witnesses. One of them seems to be a very accurate witness, almost like videotape. All the others get parts of the story right, but they're different. They see the story differently. And when you understand the story of the Bible and Enoch told together, I'll explain in the second hour, you're going to understand how the legend got formed and twisted in the rest of the world. One of the things that that helps me to kind of, you know, believe the Bible is actually correct and true is it doesn't you know look at the world through rose-colored glasses or which mythology or with, usually or does some type of agenda it tells the good the bad and the ugly i mean some parts of the bible are pretty pretty grotesque and violent and you know it, but it also tells the other side too <laughs> got drunks, shows, incest yes, murder yes all all sorts of things mm -hmm. and most works exclude those things and just paint a rose colored picture or on the opposite it, it might just be you know debauchery and it, things like mythology that. so usually paints the, the the nation or the historian whatever the myth, myth is being the mythos is being created to support paints those in good light right and it paints their enemies in evil yes the bible doesn't do this no it does not so so the watchers folks there's another alternative to all these little Ananukai carvings or whatever. They could be seraphim or they could be watchers, fallen watchers. Hold on. That's what this is all about. This picture is from artwork connected to um, the book of Enoch with the fallen watchers. And so is this, the Anunnaki and the Bible, the watchers, the Nephilim, the book of Enoch. 
you know, the giant footprints. And by the way, that footprint right there actually has six toes. I know it's not easy to see, but it does, which is something I would be looking for in a Nephilim that most people today making hoaxes wouldn't have understood. What? Yeah, they wouldn't have known to look for that until just recently. So this could be a hoax imprint, could be. It could also be that it's exactly what it seems to be. And we have, I didn't go into this, but we have plenty, plenty of physical evidence to suggest that they were giants on the earth. This is where our Mormon friends will be very helpful for us because they've collected and categorized this stuff. And every time we send that evidence to the Smithsonian, it conveniently disappears. But here's something I want to show you. Let me pop this up. This is about the different um, names of the watchers from Enoch and from the Enochian and other, and it's not just Bible. Some of this is extra biblical. Watchers names, Semiazo or Shemiazo. It's got different names depending on where you're at. They taught this, this individual taught enchantments and root cutting. Now all these watchers are male. Then we have Azazel or Azazel. Taught men to make swords, knives, shields, breastplates, the fabrication of mirrors and the workmanship of bracelets and ornaments, the use of paint, the beautifying of the eyebrows, the use of stones of every valuable and select kind, and of all sorts of dyes so that the world became altered. Now, is that character in the Bible, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, it's actually part of the uh, ordinances and temple period and that's a pretty powerful individual character in the scripture isn't it well yes it is kind of almost related with uh seems to have a satanic yes almost equal to him yes the scapegoat is for azazel yes okay thanks charlie and we also have amazarak or amazarak and he taught all the sorcerers and divine diviners of roots Amerez or ameros Taught the solution of uh, solution of sorcery. Taught the resolving of enchantments. Arcala. He taught the observers of the stars. Taught astrology. Kokabal taught the science of the constellations. Ezekiel taught the knowledge of the clouds. Arikiel taught the signs of the earth. Shemeshiel. I don't know if I'm saying these right. Taught the signs of the sun. Sariel taught the moon motion of the moon or the course of the moon. Akabil taught signs. Tamiel taught astrono astronomy. Penemu, Penemu taught the bitter and sweet, the use of ink and paper. Kazdesha or Kazdecha uh, taught the children of men all the wicked uh, smitings of spirits and demons and the smitings of embryo in the womb that it may pass away. In other words, abortion. Gadriel introduced weapons of war. And there's other names of the watchers off to the left there. And then you're going to find these names in your Bible, the many names of the Nephilim or fallen ones. They bore many other tribal names, such as Emim or Emim, Rephiem, which is in the Bible, Giburim, which is in the Bible, Zazum, uh, Zamzumim, that's in the Bible, Anakim, that's in the Bible, uh, Awim. One of the Nephilim named Arab, uh, Arba is said to have built the city of Hebron called Kiriath Arba after him and become the father of Anak, whose three sons, Sheshem, then blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, part of this is definitely in the, in the Hebrew mythology, or so they say mythology. But th these names and these people groups and these tribes are recorded in the scriptures. 
Now, one of the things that the Bible is often criticized for, God's evil, he told the Hebrews to go in and kill all the Canaanites. Um, at the time, the Canaanites were riddled with the Nephilim bloodlines. And when you understand the story of Nephilim bloodlines, which we'll get to more in the second hour, what what God, Yahweh, was doing was telling the Canaanite, I mean, the Hebrews to go in there and kill off all of that. These were abominations. These creatures were neither of heaven nor earth. They were never meant to be. They were the product of rebellious angels. So Yahweh was telling the Hebrews, go get rid of them. This was cosmic warfare. There was nobody innocent there. Now, he also told them to kill all the livestock. Why is that important? We'll get to this in the second hour, but remember when I told you to put a pin in that half man, half beast thing? One of the things that the watchers are said to have done was taught people how to cross what we would think crossbreed or cross geneticists, where, you know, the minotaurs or the satars, half man, half goat, half man, half bull. Well, it's just mythology, Joe. Was it? Because those things cross all creation mythology as well. So was it mythology? Or is it just another one of these points that seems to cross all the different legends of creation in the ancient past? See, one of the problems we have is we assume it's all mythology. And this book will explain how you got there. Because when, when the belief system come out of Jerusalem, when the Christianity came out of Jerusalem and encountered the Greek thinking, the Greek thinking couldn't accept the Middle Eastern thinking, and it morphed it. And it said it had, had to be this, that, or the other thing. Like it could not be and not be at the same time. Well, my Greek thinking will tell you it's not possible to be and not be at the same time, except depending on how we define be. It can be on earth and in heaven at the same time, and it cannot be here and be there. You know, it could be in heaven and not on earth at the same time. But my way of thinking of contradiction is that it can't be or not be at the exact same place and time. Greeks didn't specify that type of definition. This author here, Mr. Uh, Oswald, goes through very carefully a whole chapter on how that works and how we got to thinking that the Bible is mythology when we should have been thinking of it as legend. It's because it was a clash of two different worlds, two different mindsets. And in the second hour, I'm going to show you where those mindsets came from. But here's something else I want to share with you. This is from one of Dr. Heiser's slides. This is the serpentine beings, watchers, and the netherworld in the religion of ancient Israel, Judaism, and Mesopotamia. What Zechariah Sitchin's isn't telling you about the Ananokai or the ancient aliens, dude. For example, the seraphim. The seraphim are in the Bible. They're throne guardians. They have six wings. And they look an awful lot like these hammer knockers. So what these hammer knockers may be are throne guardians or fallen throne guardians. Bible doesn't tell us how many there are. Now, we got the lizard people in the ancient aliens world too, right? These are also pictures of seraphim. And Dr. Heiss will go through for you that seraphim are connected to the idea of fiery serpents. And that's part of what's going on behind the story of the Israelites in the desert with the fiery serpents running around biting everybody. And then if you get bit, you had to look to the serpent lifted up on the cross to save you. 
it's lost in translation, but in the Hebrew language behind it, Dr. Heiser will walk you through it. It's the imagery. It, it's kind of like when you say Adam in Hebrew, you mean man, but it also carries the idea of red earth or red clay. It's in the it's it's inherent in the words. Well, the idea of a fiery serpent is inherent in the word of seraphim. It just like the idea of serpent is in shining serpent is inherent in the word of Nakash. So it's very possible that Eve was actually talking with the seraphim. Yes. And that's what Dr. Heiser believes. And that's why we got this connection with snakes and so on and so forth. Right. Now, uh -huh. do you see the elongated heads on these seraphim? Yes. Interesting. Now you understand why people would do head binding. They want to imitate <laughs> what they thought of as yes. deities. Yes. So this is where we're going to start when we come back. We're getting close to the break time. The whole point of where I was wanting to walk you through this so far is that if you've given multiple ways of looking at something, either it's a myth, either it's ancient aliens, or maybe it's something different. Maybe the spirit world's real. Maybe. But now if we say, okay, well, it can't be ancient aliens, and I don't believe in the spirit world, so it's just got to be a myth. Where's your evidence? Why did you choose that over the others? Well, he'll explain to you in the very first chapter of this book because the Greeks wanted it that way. And we in the Western world have inherited a large part of the Greek thinking, Greek logic thinking. The Greeks wanted it that way because logic alone was the be-all, end-all, and the universe was, a, was an objective unto itself. In other words, worship of self. Because if logic was the be end all end all, that's what made man different is you could use reason and the universe just was and it was an end to itself and I could master it and control it. You could become your own God. Uh-huh. That's actually going to go with the story I'm going to tell you in the second hour. But now if it's all going to be legend and that there's something to all of this, well, now all of a sudden we've got gods that used to be in charge of the nations that were leading the people astray and deceiving them and teaching them things other than what they were supposed to learn. And they were fickle gods and they hated human beings and they just wanted to destroy man after a while because man was too noisy, but they needed man to feed them. In other words, pray and offer sacrifices and feed their egos. Well, that's all in the mythology of, of the Mesopotamian world and the Greeks. And it's also in the Romans and, part of the Norse gods. That's not in the mythology of the Bible. The Bible has another explanation for all of that. We're going to get to that in the second hour. So what I have now is ancient aliens. Well, there's lots of problems with that. You are taking modern human imagery of astronauts and, and grays and whatever, and, you know, alien culture, which is a relatively new phenomenon. It only started in the late forties, early fifties. Say, so, well, no, Joe, it's been there all along. Look at the rocket ships. Dude, what you see as a rocket ship, I see is just somebody depicting a, a comet or a meteorite or a meteor. It could be looked at different ways. When you're taking modern thinking and transferring it back into ancient times, it's a mistake. It's a form of equivocation. You're screwing up. You can't. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It means you can't do that. With, not without some, you see, none of these pictures that you see, has any writing that says that's exactly what they saw. No, yeah. Joe, Ezekiel in the wheel. He saw throne guardians. 
Yes, Charlie. Yeah, that was. Uh, I just finished listening to uh, Jefferson Lies by David Barton, and he talks about how they do that with Jefferson too. They put a modern perspective over his writings, and that's how they get all these misinterpretations. Yeah, it's a form of equivocation. It, You're taking it yeah, entirely not out of context. At it in the context it was originally given. One of the things that helped me is this puppy. They're not the same book as the one I held up earlier. See, but they're using the same. That's the Babylonian lion. This one shows me the ancient mythos of the ancient near east and the mindset and the thinking of the whole ancient near east and when you see what the world that the that abram and abram you know later to be abraham what the bible comes out of it's not it, it the bible did not share and borrow from the ancient near east it tried to correct it and when you're an, a skilled investigator who's used to taking all these different stories of an event, putting them together from different witnesses and looking at different pieces of evidence. Like I had to learn when I was doing accident investigation, you start realizing real quick, wait a minute, just because I think this person was the first one to see the accident may not have been, even though this one, this person supposedly saw it third hand or whatever, he might actually had a better view. Well, that's what I'm running into. The Bible has a better explanation for ancient history and on earth than than all these mythos that are supposedly older. Older does not necessarily mean better, especially in a world of oral traditions and history. And I know, well, the telephone story, Joe, they're going to get the oral wrong over time. No, not in their day and age. Because they were very, very true to it. They were very, especially when it was religious content. You didn't want to morph it. And even if they did, there are techniques for putting it back together. I'll show you some of that when we come back. And then I'm going to show you some of the common points that run through all creation themes. And I'm going to show you another way to look at this supposed myth. And this is all, uh, it, it, you might think we're doing a conspiracy theory or an Art Bell day. This is all teaching on the idea and the definition of myth. We've already shown you the Bible doesn't fit the definition of myth. And it doesn't even fit into the clear definition of a legend. But all of the supposed creation mythology of the of the ancient times doesn't really fit myth either. If the Bible's not myth, then these other things need to be moved to legend. And the reason we got away from them from being legend and we started making a myth is because we wanted to reject what they claimed. That's that Greek thinking. We know better. We're our own gods, so we don't have to rely on other gods anymore. Uh, be careful with that. Be very careful with that. That'll put you in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 territory. We'll come back in six minutes. We'll continue. I'll show you what's in your Bible. I'll show you the common threads that run through all this supposed mythology and legend. And then we'll talk about a different way of looking at all of this. See you in six.
Welcome back. You've seen the other two books I had today, right? Well, I'm also Book of Enoch here. I actually study out of the three that Dr. Heiser does. He's got his version of the Book of Enoch plus two study guides, part one and part two that goes with it. If you're going to dive into the Book of Enoch, if you're a believer, if you're a Bible believer, and you're going to dive into the Book of Enoch, make sure you go hand in hand with a teacher that knows exactly what's going on. All right, you'll get yourself off in left field in a real hurry. So study with Dr. Heiser. He's got lots of videos on this as well. Now, we're going to have to do a little scripture diving here next. If you're not, if you're one of the ones who's, no, I didn't come here for the Bible, Joe. Just sit, chill. This isn't so much going to be preaching the Bible to you as it is going to be showing you some of what's in there and how it relates to ancient aliens in mythology. There's another way of looking at it. And it's in the Bible. And a lot of Bible believers don't even know about this. And if they do, they've got the wrong understanding of it. So let me take you to Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, the corruption of mankind. It says, now it came about, and I'm reading out of an NASB, the New American Standard Bible, whatever. It says, it came about when mankind began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of Elohim, meaning the sons of God, sons of Yahweh, saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit will not remain with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of Elohim came into the daughters of mankind, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. You know, um, uh, oh, Krimini. Nimrod is known as a man of renown, which would mean possibly a Nephilim. <laughs> Nephilim in the storyline here are the offspring of fallen angels, the sons of Elohim, and mankind. So they're demigods, literally, as in half Elohim, half spirit being, half man. And you want to know what that actually says in the Hebrew? What's that? Instead of renown, the actual word is Shem. Men, Men of, of name. name. Oh, <laughs> that's really important. So there's going to be a lot of people who are going to argue with the translation of sons of Elohim here. Well, it goes hand in hand with another place where we see the language. This is Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Now there was a day when the sons of Elohim came to present themselves before Yahweh. And, and I've changed this. It says Satan in the NASB. I've changed it because it's actually Hasatan, meaning, which if I'm not mistaken, that means the Satan in Hebrew. Correct, Charlie? Correct. You know, I looked that up. It says, and the, the Satan, the, which is the accuser, as in the, the uh, district attorney. He's the prosecutor. He also came, he came with them. Yahweh said to the Satan, from where do you come? And the Satan answered Yahweh and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Now, at this point in the Bible, that doesn't mean the devil there. That Satan could be an obedient servant of Yahweh, because in this case, it's a position within the royal court. But the important part here is the sons of Elohim came and presented themselves with Satan. This is not necessarily myth. If Yahweh, just assume, this is one of the things you have to do with logic when you're looking at an argument. Presume it's true, all right? There's a there's a creating, and in the heavenly realm, he has his own court, 
and he has people in the court helping him, you know, created beings, what we would call angels, helping him in the court, sons of God. And one of those beings is called the Satan, the Hasatan, the Satan, the accuser. You're in a royal court. Well, if you're in the royal court in heaven, those aren't people. Those aren't flesh beings. Those are spiritual beings. So the language, sons of Elohim, this is important. That's going to mirror the same thing that's in Genesis. So we're probably dealing with spiritual beings. Now we're going to go to Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. The angelic watchers are the holy ones. That, that's Hebrew parallelism. Puts them together. They're, that's all the same. That's the same beings. These are the angels. Some are good. Some are fallen. Some are bad. It continues, in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he grants it to whomever he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of people. Now, why did I do this? Because this is where the idea of watchers is found in the Bible, and it is equated to angels and the holy ones, which are also sons of Elohim. So the idea of the Anunukai and the Apkalu and the Nephilim and the fallen angels and the watchers is all in your Bible. It's just by different names outside of the Bible. Now, the Bible is going to argue that this happened in most cases before the Apkalu and the Mesopotamian world comes along. We don't know when the fall happened. But, you know, in Genesis with the, the fallen angels coming down, we've got a good idea when that is. That's a whole different show we can get into. That's not the point. The point for today is the Bible is going to give us a, a third option for what these things in, in the archaeological uh, records might actually be. It, it might not be that these are aliens, and it might not be that they're just totally mythical creatures either. They might have actually been exactly what the Bible claims them to be. Now, the Bible is going to tell you something else. Bible here in Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 9. Y'all remember the story of Babel, right? Where Yahweh comes down and breaks up the people. They're make, making the big tower. Going to make a name, a shem for themselves. Men of renown. Going to make a shem for themselves, a name for themselves. They're all speaking one language. They're building this big tower to the sky. And Yahweh breaks them all up and scatters them. And at that point, he assigns, he makes 70 nations. And he assigns the sons of God according to the nations. Well, that's right here in Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 9. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of mankind and set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Elohim, the sons of God, the angels. The sons of mankind actually send son, says sons of Adam, Adam. For Yahweh's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. In other words, Yahweh is going to claim Israel, Jacob, and all of the other nations are split up according to the members of the Holy Council, 70. Which, how many elders helped Moses, Charlie? Uh, yeah, 70. And how many members of the Sanhedrin? Uh, 70, yeah. Yeah, now so. we know where that number 70 comes from in the scriptures and starts ringing from. So this is the different gods, Elohim, created spiritual beings being put over the nations. 
these are the gods of ancient times that were put over the nations to rule them and teach them to follow Yahweh. Well, they didn't do that. That's where the twisting of the legend comes in, if you're following the Bible's narrative. Now, this is Psalm 82. Elohim, Yahweh in this case, takes his position in his assembly, the divine council. He judges in the midst of the Elohim, the other gods, the, the created beings. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Silah means pause. So how long are you going to judge the nation I gave you unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? In other words, the people who are worshiping you and abusing the, the good people or the just the normal, you know, the poor in your nations. Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. This is Yahweh speaking to his created beings, the angels, the fallen angels in this case. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Save them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are Elohim. He's talking to his created beings. And all of you are sons of the Most High. These are not Israel. We'll come to this in a minute. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, Elohim, Yahweh. Judge the earth, for you possess all the nations. So some of your Bibles, if you get into the Hebrew, the Masoretic texts say sons of Israel. There's a problem with that. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which are much older than the Masoretic texts, say sons of Elohim. So which one do I go with? Well, the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is older than the Masoretic texts, says sons of Elohim. So I have two books predating the Masoretic texts, which I know were altered to hide the identity of the Messiah, telling me it should say sons of Elohim. That also fits the pattern in Scripture. So what do I have so far? What I have, Yahweh creates man, puts him in the garden. There's a fall. They're deceived by one of the seraphim, more than likely. That's what the serpent is, possibly. I'm not if you if you think it was a snake that's fine it's okay that's not that's not the argument. The Bible narrative here in this case would be the person we know as the devil, the the throne watcher, the throne guardian was a, probably a seraphim from the story we see in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Comes to Eve, deceives her, there's the fall, they're kicked out of the garden. After a while, these other angels, the story that's told in Enoch, they're like, hey, man, them girls are kind of cute. Let's go get us some wives and make some children. So they go down there and they do that. And they bind themselves, 200 of them, according to the book of Enoch, 200 fallen angels. And there's a leader. And they go down to earth and they teach man all the things that we weren't supposed to know. And teaches all, all sorts of corruption. And, and they start having children. And that's what becomes the Nephilim, demigods. The rest of the created myth creation myth in the world that they're demigods, half man, half God. We call them Nephilim if you're in the Bible. They're giants. Well, these Anakai, Ananukai, or Apkalu, or whatever, they're shown as giants in, the, in all the pictures. In Egypt, they're shown as giants. They're somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 30 feet tall, not 350 like some people have, no, but tall enough, big people, okay? This is, and we've got... We've got, um, we've had people that are 10, 11 feet tall, 7, 8, 10, 11 feet tall, and we've got skeletons that are between 11 and 13 feet tall. We, we've got evidence of this. 
Okay. Now some of these pictures that show heads big enough that should have been on a 30, 300 foot. I, I think that's all fake. That doesn't seem to be what the evidence supports, but the idea here is we've got giants. These are the, the half, the demigods. Okay. And God says, okay, well enough of this flood. So he puts the fallen angels in the pit. You know, what we would think of as Sheol or Gehana or Hades or hell or whatever, puts them in the pit. And then this is where your demons come from. The flood, the the souls of the Nephilim, they can neither go to heaven nor hell because they don't belong anywhere. So that's where your demons come from. Now at the cross, they're bound too, and they're put in the pit. And, you know, they're bound so that Satan and his people can't deceive the world. Well, at Babel, God also splits up the nations and then languages and everything, and he takes one member of his royal court, his divine council, for each of the 70 nations. And he puts these divine beings over these nations. So, okay, teach your nation, your inheritance. Hold on. Don't think this is so crazy. What's Yeshua tell you? I'll share my inheritance with you. What's his inheritance? The whole world. He's going to share it with you. He's a divine being. He's a created divine being. Well, not created. He's uncreated. But you know what I'm saying. He's parallel. He's Yahweh. He's paralleling. He's showing you that he's willing to share his inheritance with you. He expected. He was sharing. Yahweh was sharing his inheritance with his created sons of Yahweh, sons of Elohim. Said, okay, here, you've got your own nation. Now go teach them to worship me. Well, what they did is they taught the people of those nations to worship themselves instead. And this is where your mythology comes from in all the different worlds around and the different names of these gods. And if you start tracing them back, like you're going to find out that Apollo and Zeus are the same guy. And if you keep chasing them back, you're going to eventually get yourself back to Baal. The, the, this is why I've got a, a copy of that book, the deity of uh, encyclopedia of or dictionary or encyclopedia of deities and demons in the Bible. It traces their names back through history. It, it, Allah. That's Bell, B-E-L, which later becomes Baal. Same dude, man. Moon god in, in Arabia, but sun god when it gets to canon. But it's the same god, same deity. Well, that's because in the ancient times, these deities war with each other because they want more than just their nation. This is, It's a big mess. And that's what the Bible tells us. And Enoch elucidates, elucidates expands on. I can't use my big language right now. I'm an idiot. But it, the book of Enoch expands on this idea, but this idea is in your Bible. It's it's there. It's in the background. So like when Yeshua says, as in the days of Enoch, I mean, as in the days of Noah, rather, the people listening to him are thinking Enoch, not just Noah, Enoch. So, you know, he says, well, they're just going to be giving marriage and eating, drinking, and partying. That's all you think it means. Oh, no, nay, nay. Mm -mm. Not to the audience when he mentions it. So... All this mess that's in Enoch, the half man, half goat, half man, half bull, you know, all this stuff, the satyrs and, and the fallen angels and the, the, the giants, the Nephilim, and the giants are supposedly cannibals, and there's nothing but war, and everybody does that. All of that comes to mind. So hold on to that. We're not done with this yet. This is This is starting to become the thing of legend, not myth. If I can find evidence for any of this in the archaeological historic records, then I'm dealing with a legend, not a myth. And if I'm dealing with a legend, there's origin of truth. Real people, real events, real places, real things that happen. And that's the important part here. We have 
come up with our little Greek mind and said, eh, that supernatural stuff can't possibly be right. Oh, really? Why? And that's a serious question. Why? What says it can't be right? Who? Well, we've decided, ah, you chose that it can't be right. Well, that's not how we do science. Now, let's go to Peter. I'm going to pop it over here. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God, Yahweh, did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into the Tartarus. Now, I don't know what your Bible is going to translate that, but it actually says Tartaru in the Greek, which is Tartarus and committed them to the pits of darkness and held for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter goes on to say, what makes you think that, you know, he's going to spare you all this mess? He'll preserve you through it, but don't think that you're going to be raptured out before the judgment comes. It's kind of what Peter's talking about. But the Tartarus jumped down. It's the infernal region of ancient Greek mythology. The name was originally used for the deepest region of the world, the lowest of the two parts of the underworld, where the gods locked up their enemies. It gradually came to mean the entire underworld. As such, it was the opposite of Elysium, where happy souls lived ever after. But the Tartarus is actually the prison for the fallen gods and demigods in Greek and Roman mythology. And that is the word that Peter uses. He doesn't just say pit. He could have said Sheol. He could have said pit. Could have used Gehana. He didn't. This is going to be an illusion or possibly, possibly, possibly an illusion to the Enochian material. I tend to believe that's what it is because Jude uses similar language and Peter references this in more than one occasion. And every time Yeshua mentions hell, Gehana, he's alluding to Enoch. It's not in the Old Testament. Sheol is in the Old Testament, but Sheol is just the pit. It's just the ground, the grave. It is not Gehana. Those are two different ideas. So the cross. Uh, <laughs> William Keeley asked Bigfoot, is he an ape or a Nephilim? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. Um, He's the right size and shape to be a Nephilim. And he supposedly eats flesh of human beings. So I don't know. I really don't know. But let's not get sidetracked with that one today, William. And he has six uh, toes. In- I, I No, Bigfoot has five. You sure? Yep. I thought there was some that no. had six. Okay, the cross. Satan's defeat. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. This is part of where the Bible starts telling us the legend. This is where I want to get you into something a little different. Satan is bound. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. This angel is Yeshua, is Jesus. And he took hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So the dragon is the serpent of old, who is the devil, and he is Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Okay. Dragon is is the devil. Hold on to that. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, 
We're not going to get into the other eschatologies of this. I don't want those fights right now. The point is he's bound at the cross so that he can't deceive the nations. And this way, people will believe the Bible. Satan is loosed from his prison. A few verses later, Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 7, when the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. Notice what the Hebrew parallelism just told you. Gog and Magog is the four corners of the earth. That is all non-believers. Those are those who do not believe in the Bible. It's going to gather them, gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he's going to be loosed from prison to deceive the nations once more. Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. But guess what came out before that? This is a book by Stephen C. Meyer, New York Times bestselling author, Return of the God Hypothesis. Three scientific discoveries that reveal the mind behind the universe. This is the God hypothesis. In other words, we need to get back to the idea of spirituality. So the one on the left is it's time to start thinking about Yahweh again. And the one on the right is it's time to start thinking about Satan and his henchmen again. This is exactly what the book of Revelation. Now, one of the things you did not see in the definition of myth or legend is that they accurately predict the future. Uh, but the Bible does. It predicted the Messiah. It predicts what's going to happen during the millennial reign. I don't want to get into the argument over that. I happen to believe we've been in it since the ascension. I can make a strong argument for that. But anyway, it predicts what's going to happen in the end times. We've been following it. Now, if there's going to be a return of the gods, we're going to have an increase in specific things. And these gods are going to hearken us right back to Mesopotamian world. And there they are. Baal on the left, Astra in the middle, Moloch on the right. And they are back with a vengeance right now in the world. And they came back shortly after World War II. Not before. So somewhere around the 19, late 40, late 1940s, early 1950s, the pit was open. I don't know. Did anything significant happen in a spiritual sense in the 1940s? Oh, yeah. Israel's back on the face of the planet as a nation again. Only one of the most fulfilling of prophet. Oh, wait a minute. That's prediction that the nation's going to come back as a nation again when the same language and the same people and the same. Yeah, never again. Never happened in history before, ever. Other than the cross, that is the most, the most prophesied thing in scripture. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, a person that was born blind receiving their sight. Yeah, yeah. never happened before. So we've got the return of the gods, boys and girls, and these are the same gods of ancient times. Now, let me ask you a question. If it's a myth, then why would the same myths return? The definition of myth is it's got to be local to the people or the nation or the religion. But these aren't, these aren't got anything to do with the religions that are alive today. So why did these gods return? And in the exact same way materialism, sexuality, and the perversion of sexuality, and child sacrifice. So, so why? Unless now, now, if it's legend, 
This is exactly what I would expect. But now if it's legend, then that means there's something to it. So which one, the legends behind these three gods or the legends behind the Bible, which one explains the other? Well, these three gods don't explain the Bible. They don't explain Yahweh at all. They replace him. But the Bible explains these three gods, even calls all three of them by name. Hmm. And the Bible explains their origins. It says Yahweh crushes the head of Marduk. Marduk is where these three come from. Marduk might very well be another name for Azazel. It's fun. Legend, we've got to find out. So evidence. What would be evidence that we're actually dealing with a legend, with something that actually happened rather than just a bunch of mythology? Well, proof is when all evidence confirms a theory. Evidence is information and clues that support a theory or an idea. Now, here's something else I wanted to share with you. This is the historical method. The historian selects a subject for an investigation. Past evidence, you know, physical remains, you know, archaeology, oral reports, written in this case, visual documents, written documents, if they're, if we have them. This is a background knowledge, value beliefs, biased and prejudices. He's got to interpret all these things. Applies the historical method. He collects the evidence, analyzes the evidence, selects the evidence, organizes the evidence, interprets the evidence, writes the history. And it's all going to be biased by his own cultural and, and worldview information. So some of the sources. You're going to have original records, derivatives, and authored. So basically record, record, narrative. The closer you get to the original information, the better. And then you're going to have primary, secondary, and undetermined sources. And you're going to have direct, indirect, and negative sources. The best ones are original, primary, and direct. Directly relate to what you're looking at. Now, here's something else for you. Bad historical evidence, that's when you take the theory first and then you try to find things that fit into it, like ancient aliens. Good historical evidence is evidence first, then theories. This is actually where I got to where I'm at right now. I didn't start out with the way I'm thinking today that I'm explaining to you. This came into being over many, many, two to three decades of research. So bad is non-systematic. Good historical evidence is systematic. A bad historical evidence is anecdotal and cherry-picked. Good, wide, and large sample size. Bad is strong uh, causal attribution, meaning this causes that. Good is cautious and weak causal attributions, meaning you, there's a lot of I don't know. Okay. Bad historical evidence is only looks at success. Good is looks at success and failures in figuring out, you know, making things fit and what you're looking for. Bad is shallow research, only hours. Good is deep research, months. I've spent years doing this. Bad is a, uh, a bad example is a doing protests worked for the civil rights movement in the past, so it should work for our cause. Good is a good example would be Give Well's History of Philanthropy, which is a, an example of a, of a sociological theory of philanthropy. So... According to these guys' example, I've been doing pretty decent historical research for myself. And here's what I have found. Nearly every creation theory or theology or story, every known culture and society in mankind, even in the archaeological records, they have all got some idea of a flood. They, they've got this ancient idea of the flood in the ancient times. 
and it goes it, it's everywhere it's not most isolated tribes already possess this flood myth well if everybody has that idea then it's not myth it's it's an artifact of some sort so what we're dealing with now is the different flood stories are the different versions of the witness the event happened the flood happened it's in the archaeological evidence as well we we've got in the in the archaeology and the ge uh, geology we've got physical evidence to support this as well so we now we 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 should believe we've got ample evidence for a flood so that's that's legend not myth we have something else folks did you know that dragons are in every known culture, just like the flood myth? Past, present, and whatever. All cultures have the idea of a dragon. And what did the Bible tell you the dragon is connected to? Well, in some cultures, dragons are good people. Some cultures, they're bad, evil. But that's going to be expected as well. Don't forget the Bible tells you that some of these angels are fallen angels, and they taught people to worship themselves. So if you've got a fallen dragon who wants you to worship him instead of the creator, you're going to end up with a culture that thinks he's a good guy. Like today, you know, where we're doing blood sacrifices before the Grammy Awards or mimicking them. So Satan's a good guy now. So the dragon, the Leviathan, the sea monster, the chaos monster of old, also in every creation mythology of known to man or just about everyone that I've ever been able to find. You know what else they have? <clears throat> they all have their own ideas of demons. Well, the Bible tells you where they came from. They come from the giants. Well, most every story, mythology story known to all different cultures, not all in this case, but most, a wide number of them have the stories of giants. The giants and the demons are going to be connected. Look at all the points now that I have that are telling me I have common points in all these different eyewitness stories. Um, I'm dealing with legend now, folks, not myth. I've got enough. If I understand how to do research, what, when by legend, what I mean is I've got actual events in the past that have been distorted according to the people group that tells the story. So that's the telephone story. Their narration has changed, but the event is the same. A flood, a dragon, demons, giants, and a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have the idea of some sort of connection to a tree. Druids have trees. The Norse have the world tree. You have two trees in the Garden of Eden. You've got trees and the world trees and all this stuff in Mesopotamian. There are trees in the creation story. That's another common thread. Then we have pyramids. Zagarats, you know, the Tower of Babel. They take different forms. So people will say, look, they got nothing to do together, Joe. They're all different forms. That's not, the, that's ice cream flavors, folks. Look what they all are. They're all towers. They all, and they represent mountains. This is because in ancient times, the gods were thought to have lived on the top of mountains and in gardens. Well, you can't have a garden on top of a mountain. Well, that's cosmic geology thinking. See, the Greek would say, see, that's nonsense. You can't have a garden on top of a mountain. The ancient Near East doesn't care about that. What they're saying is the garden and the mountain is where the gods live. When you understand the literature the way it's meant to be understood, it doesn't contradict and it's not absurd. And when you understand what you're dealing with here is an attempt to reach or become like a god, then it doesn't matter what 
the form it is, even if it's, oh, I don't know, the Empire State Building or the World Trade Centers or some other tall building that wants to reach to the sky. It's, look at my Shem, Yahweh. Look what I've done, Yahweh. I've become like you. You may not think that way, folks. The world may not think that way. That's irrelevant. The spirit world is still there, and it's still real, and this is how it works. And I have now found over a half dozen points common to all creation stories and another two or three points that are common to almost all of them that tell me that those mythology, not myths, it's a legend. So once I know I have a legend, then that means that there is objective truth of some sort behind the legends. Now I know that there was an accident, you know, as an objector, I know there's an accident and I can find the truth of this accident. Now I got to peel down through everything and I got to find out. Well, when I start doing that, I run into only one story known to man that explains all the others. Only one. That's the Bible. And it does more than explain them. It even predicts things. It does much more. It records accurate history. None of the other mythology records accurate history. It doesn't necessarily record the names of people who are really there. It's recording what we would think of as mythology, but it's actually legend because it's dealing with spirit beings that walked amongst us. They do again now. You just don't see them or recognize them. Or they appear to our leaders as aliens. And our leaders soak that up. Let me ask you something. Why is it that it is okay to think in the terms of ancient aliens? That's acceptable, but not gods. Not angels, not Yahweh, not, not Yeshua, Jesus. We, we can't think in those supernatural terms, but I can have aliens that are interdimensional transportating across you know, light years of space and all this stuff, doing all sorts of technology. Why is that okay? Because of YouTube's guidelines, because <laughs> you're allowed to talk about aliens, but you're not allowed to talk about God. That's pretty much, it's pretty much what this author's argument is. Bible of amongst the myths is that the Greek basically said the Greek mind said, well, we can't talk about that. So then as soon as it becomes unacceptable, well, we've done quotes from good little progressive fascists that have said that, you know, it's, it's in um, the orthodoxy. You can talk, you can discuss anything you want as long as it's within the box of what's acceptable to discuss. Be careful, Joe. That's hate speech and Facebook might strike you. Mm -hmm. I know. So if I want to go to the definitions, I find out the Bible is neither myth nor legend. If I go to definitions, I find out the, the myths of the Mesopotamian and Babylonian creation Egyptian creation, Greek, Roman, Chinese, Norse, all of these other different creation stories, even a lot of the ones in the uh, Native Americans. They all have common threads too, like uh, the world coming from an egg and separating the, 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 the Chinese have a great man that separates the earth from the sky so that there's a void for people to live in. The common themes through all of this. Well, now they're no longer myth, folks. They're not. They don't fit the definition of myth. They become legend. And according to the definition of a legend, there's truth in it. What you have to start looking for is what common points between all of them. Well, we've just seen some of those. Now there's 
only one story known to man that accounts for all of those common points, puts all of the other mytho- all the other legend into, into proper place. That's the Bible, augmented a little bit with the thinking of Enochian material. And ipso facto, a little study on what mythology is and legend is and how it works and what it is and isn't, and a little application of what's available to us and a little bit of logic, and we come down with, whoops, that Bible thing may not be such a myth after all. Which is going to cause us a lot of problem. Because as soon as the world has to face that the Bible is exactly what it claims to be, it's going to go on a war path with you. Because it doesn't want to face that any more than the fallen angels wanted to face the truth of what befalls them. They wanted to have their cake and eat it too. So did the Greeks. Going to be their own gods. Secular humanism. Babylonians, apostasy. The Greeks, secular humanism, man is his own God. Gee, thirds. Wonder where that came from. All right, Charlie, jump in here. What you got, man? Thoughts, comments? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I had lots of fireflies going on today. You see where previous shows are starting to be knit together? Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm relying on the fact so, that some so of y'all Dip, have because he was he was way ahead of this. Dip was way ahead of the class. <laughs> so, it, it, did I miss anything? Um. Well, I can't think of anything at the moment. Is the class got anything that we need to add to this? Did everybody track with where I was going with this? Because this is going to lead us right I think into tomorrow. So. It, it's been a little quiet on the chats today, so hopefully people were just paying attention and stuff. But yeah, tomorrow we're going to be starting on the prophetic language. Yeah, and then Thursday we're going to go back to what would be the signs that the gods have returned. <laughs> what would they be looking to do? I mean, it, it, it's a cosmic conspiracy theory, which means we might have to have Doctor Evil help explain Hydra. Oh, yes, yes, we probably need him here. We'll be wearing the dark green shirt, Mr. Mr. Charlie. I'll be wearing my dark green shirt. So everybody recognize Dr. Evil when, when I am on the set. <laughs> All right, folks, that's, that's what I've got for you today. Tomorrow, we're going to start with a series on the prophetic language. Thursday, we're going to do that cosmic conspiracy theory stuff. And Friday, we're going to let the founders wade in on a little bit of this. Once again. They've got more stuff to tell us. Some of this might be replay, but, you know. Oh, and Charlie, I have a question for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Spiritual warfare, brother. Are you ready for battle? Uh, I hope so. That's why we're here. Oh, and Marianne, don't look for us on YouTube tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We, we done struck out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm hoping to upload It says it'll let me week, stream but tomorrow, but no. then maybe not. I, I don't know. You, you're out for a week, it looks like. When I went into the actual website, uh, shows we're down for a week. We'll try it, but I think we're down for a oh, week. Oh, um, yes, Natasha? What if they told you you could stream for a day so you could post another video and they come back and say, oh, well, you mess with these guidelines, so bam, 
Strike two. See, you're so conspiratorial. <laughs> um, this is the. I wonder why. This is the Amazon listing for this book. But if you go there, you're also going to find. I've got this one too. The world around the Old Testament. It's going to be a lot about the the belief system of the people around the nation of Israel. And then this one, ancient Near East themes and biblical theology, which is going to be a lot of different uh, religious connotations and storylines. And I've got this book as well. I've got all of these against the gods, the polemic theology of the Old Testament, which also goes within the beginning. We misunderstood. Yes, I've done a little bit of research in this, folks, as as Charlie, to his great demise, has found out because I keep pushing him. (laughs) Read another book. Read another book. Read another book. So yeah, I got a stack of them. I got to get through. I haven't asked you to read any of them that proved to be useless to you. No, no, no. They've been they've been good recommendations. This is a very so. good one here, folks. The Bible amongst other myths. I'd forgotten about that one. It's been on my shelf. I've read that one several times. Not as good as Doctor Heiser's Unseen Realm, but it's a good supplement. So, and if you want to know about the the fallen angels and the watchers, you need to read Doctor Heiser's Reversing Hermon. Yeah, I'm listening to that again on audible it's a very valuable book yes yeah yeah. but like i'm reading it for or listening to it for the fourth time because it is so detailed it's like oh yes to get all that stuff julie yeah you want to go back and watch you from what i know of you julie (laughs) you want to go back and watch this show this is one you definitely don't want to miss. Yeah, Marianne got caught up with work too, so she's got to rewatch. But yeah. it, it should be available on Rumble. Um, yeah, you have to go to Rumble. <laughs> the the we got ourselves in trouble with YouTube. Yep. So. so all right, folks, we're gonna get out of here. Thanks, Charlie. Um, we thank each and every one of you for being here every day. We 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 do. We we do sincerely do. Um, we ask that if you know anybody anywhere, either in your personal life or on the internet or whatever. Share the show if you think it'll do them any good. Um, yeah, go ahead and warn them about me and ask them to give the show a little, give it a chance. I know I know that this show is not everybody's cup of tea, but if, if you've got anybody with an inquisitive mind in your world, I think we can help. At least I hope we can. Just ask them to give us time. Because, you know, if you've been here any length of time, you know these shows build on each other. Today, I didn't even tell you. You needed a lot of the past shows to make full use of today's program. Because there was a lot going on that we have discussed individual in detail, up to two hours in length. In, in certain cases, some cases, we've done entire series on some of the stuff we were hitting on today. It, and this is one of the reasons when I first started a long time ago, when we first started this show over a year ago now, I told you, I had so much I had to tell you before I could even start putting this together. Well, it's bearing proof now. This is why when you hear a classmate saying fireflies, what they're telling you is, oh, I remember those shows. And like some of the others, like Water Jug will tell you, you go behind me sometimes, do the homework for yourself. Or T-Rex will tell you, just be careful. Sometimes the things that T-Rex goes behind me on, he's like, oh, crap, that monster is ugly and mean because he finds the side that I don't tell you about. I know it's there and I know what he's going to find. So just like when I first ran into water jug, you know, he disagreed with me about the, you know, the founding fathers being deists. And I just had, you know, go look into it. I knew what he was going to find. He'll tell you, he found exactly what I knew he was going to find. I don't have to lie about these things. I don't, I'm not the type of person who wants to lie. I want to know the truth myself. So if you show me where I aired, I'll thank you. I'll publicly announce it and I'll change my position. So, Whatever you think of me or however I work in your world, just make sure when you share the show, 
you bring them up to speed on that. Now, one other thing, if you're a regular classmate, class member, you know, audience member on this show, you know, that the thumbs up buttons, that's not meant for the algorithms or any of that garbage that talks to Charlie and Natasha and says, thanks for helping out guys. Okay. I don't care if it's showing up tells me that you can tolerate me just being here tells me that let those two know that that's pretty much the only things they get is you guys telling them. Thank you. Give them the thumbs up button every now and then, if you feel like doing so. Also, if you have not already done so, please go to rumble. If you have to make an account, but sign up to follow the show. We need as many of y'all doing that as possible. Rumble is slowly starting to think that we're actually worth letting us go without censoring us. They, they haven't, they've monetized every one of our shows. Folks, a penny here, a penny there, literally. It's literally a penny here, a penny there. One or two pennies for this show, half a cent for that show. It's not a lot. The point is, though, is that they don't throttle it, which means it gets to more people. Also, if you're going to share the show, send a link directly to whoever you're sharing it with. Because if all you do is click share on Facebook, it's going to be way down in their feed. Trust me, we are being throttled, especially on YouTube. YouTube hates us, and I love it. So tomorrow, Worship Wednesday, we're going to start a series on the prophetic language. And we will see you then. Y'all take care. Stay safe. See you tomorrow.